Awesome. So Mark, back to Mark, Gospel of Mark, is all about this idea that Jesus is the Son of God. And he wanted you to know that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the one that the scriptures had pointed to, and that he is the one that you can trust. And he really was speaking to those of us that were outside of the Jewish tradition. And so that was kind of the premise, and we talked about he has authority over death, and authority over disease, and authority over food, right? Was anybody here last week? Snacks, where we fed the 5,000 last week, everybody got a snack, that was amazing. And I've, I've, I've met, I think I'm going to say it publicly now, like, if I ever, hold me to it, crowd, if I ever preach on that passage, I always have to feed the crowd. So I think, that was really loud. Um, like, yeah, I think, I think, don't you think? It's just right. It's just right. Um, so we did that last week, and we kind of, like, were able to see that um, God has the ability, and sometimes we forget how God has provided for us. Um, today, in, in those passages, as we've looked through them, one of the ones that was like the, had the most um, references, the most passages, was healing. And there were so many passages about Jesus healing people. And then a couple of the others were a little less, you know, raising um, uh, a little uh, girl to, from the dead. And, you know, all those things are, are good. But today, um, we're talking about the last installment and the last theme. And so I just want to keep it real light. So we're going to talk about demon possession um, and uh, the fact that Jesus has authority over demons and darkness. All right. Is, is everybody loosened up and limber for that? Um, but literally, Jesus has the authority over darkness. And, uh, and he does. And he brings the light. Now, the problem, um, I have a few problems with, <coughs> with this uh, week. And the first one is this, you know, uh, spiritual warfare, demonic activity, kind of a hot button and a little bit odd um, because we don't really necessarily see it every day, right? Um, and I, I think that that's, uh, that's valid. I mean, we just, I don't know, the last, last time you cast a demon out of somebody, um, maybe, maybe you did that this week, I don't know. Um, but for whatever reason, we don't seem to see it. <coughs> the other thing is that like my, uh, my business partner back in the day, I'm going to get some water. Is that okay, you guys? Yep. <clears throat> I got some darkness in my throat. <coughs> so when uh, my business partner was growing up, he grew up in Nigeria, went to high school in Nigeria. And he grew up in the Reformed tradition. And their tradition was much more, hey, I, we don't really talk about that. <clears throat> we don't really like, believe on that. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, demonic activity, that kind of stuff, um, <clears throat> until he went to Nigeria, and he was able to see this activity in this country where there were <coughs> witch doctors who were, um, you know, under the influence of demo demons or demonic activity, and that they were seeing things happen. And he said, um, you know, I grew up being told that it wasn't real and it wasn't for this day and age, but he said, I believe it. It's 100% a thing. And I think, and I'll probably, if I repeat myself, I apologize, but I think that part of the reason why um, we don't necessarily see it as much is because um, it's so very obvious, and also I think that the enemy is a little, um, it's more evil than that if that makes sense. It's more ruthless than that um, because of the way that you'll see as it unfolds today. But the other problem that I have <clears throat> with this topic is that there's four passages in Mark that 
talk about Jesus casting out a demon specifically. Uh, it's referenced several times, but there's four passages. And I've got all day, but I'm pretty sure you don't want me to preach all four passages today because you probably want to go to get lunch. And so I'm going to have you guys help me out, and you guys are going to pick which passage I'm going to preach from today. Is that cool? It's choose your own sermon, all right? So this is how it works. Now, what I'm going to do is I've nicknamed all the passages. So the first one is called Hootis, all right? The second one is called Pigs in a Blanket. Anybody hungry? That was last week. You should have been here. All right, third is Demons and Dogs. And number four has affectionately been nicknamed Arathang. All right, so I'm going to um, need to have you guys cheer for the one that you want. <clears throat> so far, the first, last night and this morning, they chose two different ones, which is great. Keep me on my toes. Um, but I need to get a level. So I need you all to cheer on the count of three so I can just kind of get a level. All right, ready? One, two, three. <laughs> okay, got it. All right, so um, if, uh, when I say the one that you want, cheer and um, try to only vote once. All right, here we go. Who wants who this? I'm going to put that here, okay? All right. Who wants pigs in a blanket? There, barely. Who wants demons and dogs? I'm going here with that. And who wants Arathang? I'm going to give it to Arathang. And guess what? You guys picked a third one that I haven't done yet. This is amazing. Oh my gosh. I literally thought that it was going to be the same one every time. But you guys never cease to surprise me. So this is good stuff. All right. So that means that you're going to turn to Mark chapter 9. If you need a Bible, um, raise your hand because we have some super lovely humans that will pass you a Bible. <clears throat> and just raise your hand. Yes, we have someone in the front row. I see that hand. I see that hand. <clears throat> and while they are passing those out, keep your hand up until you get one. Let me pray before we start to read this. Because I really believe um, that there are no accidents today. Everyone say no accidents. Everyone is here on purpose, for a reason, and God has an intention for you for being here. So you didn't want to get out of bed, but you did, and you're here, and God knew that. He knew that you would be here. He knew that you would be in this room. He knew that this would be the topic. He knew that this is the work we had to do. And so I want us to pray before we read so that our hearts are open. God, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, thank you for friends from Shanghai. We thank you, Lord God, for all of us that are able to be in this room. And we believe and declare right now that there are no accidents. There is nothing, Lord God, that happens by accident in your economy. And so today, Lord, we sit here, and Lord, you knew that we would be here well before 2019 even started. Lord, you knew that we would be here. You knew that this would be the topic. You knew that this is the work that we wanted to do. And so, God, we pray that all the things that, have, that are on our heart, we would just allow those to just fall away and that your spirit would have access to the very deepest parts of who we are. And, Lord, that you would help us to see that you bring the light in Jesus' name. So Mark chapter 9, <clears throat> we're going to start in verse 17. 
And, uh, and it says this, a man in the crowd, so there's a crowd around Jesus, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. So this, this spirit somehow has made this, this, this boy um, mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. They asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. This is pretty intense. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, let me reread that. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything, or you might say, everything, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and you mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. This is an intense passage. Well done picking the really intense one, guys. Um, You could have picked demons and dogs, which is just a conversation between a woman and Jesus. But no, we're going to go with the kid that's foaming at the mouth with a demon. Okay. I think it's very interesting when you look at this passage because um, there are several things that are going on. Um, first of all, notice that when the spirit that was inside this boy saw Jesus, he, he, he saw him and he, he recognized Jesus. He saw Jesus in the fact and who he was. Um, it's interesting too to me that the disciples were not able to cast out this demon. That there's like a, a lack of understanding, a lack of prayer, a lack of the ability to see this thing through. And then you have this moment where this guy says, hey, if you can do something, would you? And Jesus is like, if I can. I mean, anybody, like, it's kind of like that moment, right, where Jesus is being revealed to humanity and people. And they're still in this mode of like, hey, if you can. And Jesus is there as the son of God. And Mark is trying to communicate to you that Jesus has the authority over darkness, that he is the Son of God. He says, if I can, anything is possible for those that believe. And then the man says these classic words. He says, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Help me overcome my unbelief. And and Jesus um, casts a demon out, and we see what's interesting is that there's history. Because Jesus says, how long has the boy been like this? And he says, since he was a child. So we know that this guy's, this son is, 
is probably a little older, maybe, um, he, because it's been around since he was a little boy. And so as we look at this passage, I think there's a, a couple of things, and especially <clears throat> on the back of your news and events, there's some blanks that you can fill out as I go, and as the ADD guy in the room, I'm going to try to get you all of your blanks filled in, okay? For all of you, like, we got to have every blank. But there's also some passages at the bottom there or in the middle of that page that actually is the, all of the passages you could have looked at today. And I want you to take that home with you, and I want you to do the work to read through those because I really believe that if you do, that there's going to be some awesome things that you see. And some of those things I'll refer to today. One of the things is that there are really two different responses from the demons and from people. So in these passages, the demons always, always, always recognize who Jesus is. They know who he is. In the passage, in the first passage, Jesus heals a guy and casts out a demon on the Sabbath, unconventional, unexpected, not okay, but the demon says, I know who you are. You're the Holy Son of God. So Mark is communicating that even the demons understand this. When the, the guy who um, was insane and he was living in a cave and he was cutting himself and he was just a, a nuisance to the, to the community and had been cast out into this cave, that demon says, you are the son of the most high God, which means that there's a reference that there's all these gods, small g, but you are the son of the most high God, the real God. And that spirit fell down at Jesus' feet. And so you see a posture by the demons that there's this like falling down. There's this, there's this acknowledgement of you're the most, son of the most high God. You are the son of God. These things are amazing. This is interesting. But your first bold point there is that there is a difference. It is, the difference is knowing versus trusting. Because the second response that you see in all these passages is the way that the people respond to Jesus. They put their faith in Jesus. They say to Jesus, they say to Jesus, in, in the one with the, the dog, the, the reference says demons and dogs, that woman, she says, Lord. And that's an acknowledgement that he's not just a teacher or a rabbi, but he is Lord, he is Savior. And Jesus heals her daughter. There's this, this idea that trusting is different than knowing. You can know about Jesus, but do you trust him? Because that's the real difference between these two responses. The other thing that I think is, is interesting is uh, in all of these passages, all four of them, what you end up seeing is we catch the story at the moment that Jesus enters the scene. And when we read it, we can read so fast through it because we just catch it. It's like, hey, so there's this guy that brought his son to Jesus, and we're in it, right? We're in it right there. And all of a sudden, it's like, how long has this been happening? And then we get a little bit of like a, oh, how long has he been like this since he was a child? Oh, there's history. There's a story. And so here's my question. My question is, in each one of these scenarios, these people who have this darkness that has overtaken them, how did they get that way? Were they born that way? I would argue probably not. I, I would say that it seems that there is a story about, I want to know. I want to know. How did you end up in a cave? Why, like, what has caused you to start cutting yourself? 
We thought self-harm was like a current day issue. It's been around for thousands of years. If this has been around like this since he was little, what, what, how did he get that way? We don't know, right? We don't know a lot about how that happened. We don't know if this guy that was in this cave, if he grew up with a good family and, you know, both parents in the home or, you know, if he was poor, if he was rich. We don't know anything about what his backstory is. We don't know really anything about these people when Jesus shows up. All we know is that they're in a mess and that the darkness has overtaken them to the point where they're possessed by this spirit, this impure spirit. But I think that I, I, I believe I would propose that there are some things we could probably say about how they got this way. And there's one primary thing that I think is really important for us to really think about because it applies to us today. I'm not going to claim anybody is possessed today. I'm not going to say that you have a demon on your back or that you need to sing the song by Imagine Dragons like, you know, here's where they hide. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying this. I'm saying that there can be a dark spot in our heart or in our life that Jesus wants to light up. And when we think about how does that darkness get to us, how did these people get the way they are? Or for those of us today that are struggling with a very dark spot in our life or a little bit more intense that you're in a dark place in your life, how did we get there? And here's what I will propose to you, and we can argue about it later. This is what happens. It is a consistent year after year, chronic over and 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 over again. We believe a lie about ourselves. When you think about that, we believe a lie about who we are, we believe a lie that the enemy somehow trips us up and implants just a little bit of darkness. And our response to that little bit of darkness is, ah, no big deal. I don't need to worry about that. I got bigger fish to fry. No big deal. That's nothing. That's not going to bother me. And then that little spot grows and grows and grows until it becomes an issue, and we're sitting here today, and we're like, I need Jesus to shine some light in that area of my life. Because here is the other number two on your page, is that the goal of the enemy is to do this, is to damage the image of God in you. The goal of the enemy is to damage the image of God in you. Look at all of these passages this week and what you will find is that in every example, there is a damaging perspective on the person that's possessed. And it's so expressed to the fullest extent. And it starts with us in just a little lie that we believe about who we are. You look at the guy that was in the cave. What is he doing? He's cutting his physical body. He's been made in the image of God, but he's cutting it. Other people, they have an impure spirit in them. They've been defined as impure. They have been made in the image of God. It is all about damaging the image of God in you is what the enemy wants to do. Why? Because if he can do that, then he takes you 
and he paralyzes you in your ability to really impact the kingdom the way that he intends for you to do it. If he can get you thinking something that's not true about you is true, he can take you out of the running to really impact this world the way that he wants you to. And he loves it, and he doesn't need you to have a demon inside you to do it. All he has to do is get in here and get you to believe that lie. So how does he do it? How does he do it? Um, well, what does he damage, first of all? First of all, what does he damage? The image of God in you. He wants to make sure that as an individual that you think that there is something wrong with you, that there is something that needs to, that, that isn't good enough, that isn't worthy, that isn't valuable. And yeah, there are things that we struggle with and there is sin that we have to repent from, absolutely. But what I'm talking about is an inherent, there is something that is not okay about me. He wants to damage the image of God inside you. But secondly, once he gets you thrown off, then he loves to start ruining and damaging the, the image of God inside relationships. Now, anybody that's lived long enough knows that the enemy loves to work inside relationships and to pull people apart and to pull marriages apart and to pull wife from husband and father from son and mother from daughter, parents from kids grandparents from grandkids and to pull them apart and relationships that are designed in marriage to reflect the image of God. The two have become one. Now we can see a picture of the church and Jesus between a, a woman and a man, a wife and husband. We see this and we say that is broken. That it could have been, could be the image of God that's communicated. The literal love of God be communicated in our relationships. We see the unity in the church. Not only does he want to damage the image of God in you and in relationships, but if he can do that at a big enough scale, he does it in all of us. And now the church big C is paralyzed because we're all in our little pockets believing something that's untrue about ourselves. And that's what he does. But how does he do it? How does he do it? Pay attention to the way that he does it. He plants a lie in you and in your mind that is so small, it's like a seed, and you don't pay attention to it. And as it grows, it grows into something that resembles truth, and you begin to accept it as true. This is, this is the most insidious part about what he does is that he somehow plants this thought. He, there's, there's, a, there's this darkness that comes over us. We have a feeling. We have a situation. We have that spouse that says this phrase, and when she says that, it triggers me. Or when he does that, it triggers me, and I go into a rut, and I can't get out of it. This is where we begin to believe that, you know what? This relationship will never work. This relationship will never be healed. This situation over here, this person over here, that myself isn't okay. And so what happens when he plants that lie, there's a few things that he begins to do. Number one, he challenges your worth. He tells you you are not worthy. He tells you that you are not worth it. And I'm going to tell you right now, you're worth it. He died for you. And if you would have been the only one, he would have died for you. Let's lighten up for a half second. So yesterday we, uh, we celebrated my father-in-law's 80th birthday. Yeah. Some of you know, we call him Papa. Um, some of you know him. 
He's my father-in-law, and he is awesome and um, a great guy. He attends here, um, usually comes on Saturday night. He was here last night, and so I got to pick on him live. You know, it was great. But um, there was a celebration yesterday, and we, were, we had a lot of people here, and the food is flying, and people are reminiscing and telling stories. And as we were preparing the party yesterday morning, he got here a little early, and he had said this to me on um, Friday as well, but he, he said this to me. He's, I said, how you doing, Papa? He said, well, I just really feel bad about all the work that's going into this party. Like, I feel bad, like, all the food that's been prepared and all this, these tables and centerpieces. And, I mean, they had boards up of just all these different memories and things that he's done in his life. And he said, you know, this is just... It just is like, it's just not, it's not necessary. And I looked at him, and I was thinking about what I was talking about and how here it is, you know, right in my face. I said, Papa, let me tell you something, man. You're worth it. You're worth it. Every table decoration, every bit of food, every piece of cake, every centerpiece, every person that's here, every memory that was brought out on a table somewhere, that is worth it because you are worth it. Your story has changed people's lives. And what the enemy wants you to do is to believe that you're not worth it. And here I am preaching to the 80-year-old who's preached for 30 years or more, right? And I'm like, what am I doing? This guy is wise beyond my years. And I said, listen, you are worth it. And I said, you know what you need to do? Just own it, man. Like, this is your party. This is your 80th birthday. And he kind of snapped out of it a little bit. And he just had a good time. And I'll tell you, his story has changed. It's worth it. I'll, I'll just give some props to him right now. I was not, like, a horrible child, guy growing up. But I was, I was not, like, I was not a known quantity when I started liking Sarah and hanging out by Sarah's family in her house. And I don't know what I would have done if this kid, who doesn't come from a great background, started showing up. But I'll tell you what Papa did, is he welcomed me into his home. And he said, you know what? You can, you can eat with us. You can be around. You can't date my daughter yet, but you can be around. And side note, when I asked him years later if I could marry her, y'all know what he said, right? He said no. For the rest of the story, you have to talk to me later. But I got a yes out of him. I got a yes out of him. It just took a minute. Um, but he welcomed me in. And so the story challenges us. The story changes us. It makes us into something amazing because we find Jesus in all that. I experience the love of Christ through that. And so first thing he does is he challenges our worth. The second thing is that he attacks our value. The fact that we're, we're, we don't have any value, that we don't have anything that compared to other people, we don't measure up. And the enemy, the darkness comes at us and attacks our value. And the last thing that he does Maybe, but for today, there's probably a long list, but what he does is that he, he confuses your identity. 
He doesn't even need to make you think that you're somebody else or that you've whatever. He, he actually would love it if you could just be confused, confused about your major, confused about your career, confused about whether or not you should be here or there, confused about what you're really made of. He wants to confuse your identity. Those are the lies that he ends up growing inside of us, and that's the darkness that, ki- that can f- take us down roads and end up in places where we never thought we would be, where we're completely paralyzed for the kingdom of God. But I want you to tell you, we have been hanging out on the dark side for a long enough today, because I need to tell you that there are promises and there are good things, because Jesus brings the light. Does anybody know that? Jesus brings the light. So when we have all these things, these tough situations and all the stuff that we deal with, in those moments, we have the opportunity to walk in those dark thoughts or we have the opportunity to walk in the light. John 8, 12, Grace. John 8, 12 is up there. And this is the promise that we have. And we begin to declare this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said what? I am the light of of the world, whoever, a guy in a cave cutting himself, a woman who is a Gentile that asks for her daughter to be healed, that is told that she doesn't get that and because the dog should eat last. No, she says, no, the dogs even get crumbs from the table and Jesus heals them. It doesn't matter whoever it is, this little boy who is mute and can't speak, Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So we walk in the light. When we have a difficult situation, we allow the light to shine on that situation and say, yes, that feeling is real. Yes, that situation is real. But I choose not to, to wallow in it and walk in it, but I choose to walk in the light side of that. So I'm going to change my perspective on that issue. Are you guys with me? Because here's what's promised to you. What's promised to you is that you serve the one who is the light of the world. And this analogy of light and dark is throughout scripture. And God is always bringing the light. Always. Always bringing the light. And I'm here to say to somebody that what we need to do is to begin to expose those lies and declare the truth of what's true. To say, Lord, this is a lie I believe, but what's true is that you are the light of the world. What's true is that I need help. Just like this guy can say, I believe, help me with my unbelief, number four on your, on your page. We all can say this, I believe, but help my unbelief. What does that mean? It simply means this, like we can choose to say, God, I believe, but I am spiritually weak. I'm not perfect, and so I need your help to continue to walk in the light. What we think is that we need to get everything perfect, and then we can come to Jesus. But that's not how it works. What we do is we bring Jesus all of our stuff, and then he begins to work through it with us tell a story I've told it before my college roommate and I we were having a conversation late at night and he had been to church several times and he was hearing the gospel and he was having a lot of questions about that and I said to him I was like man you know why don't you just just do it man just Jesus is ready come on you know just take that step I mean it's it, don't you feel like it's time 
And you know how, like, when you're roommates in college, like, you talk in the dark in your beds, like, you're, like, it's pitch black, and you're just, like, having this conversation? That's one of those. And I'd never forget the sound of his voice when he said this. He said, you know, Joe, I've just got too much stuff in my life I have to get cleaned up before I come to Jesus. And I just said, that's not how it works, man. But that's how a lot of us are. We want to say, I believe in God. I believe with 1,000%. And I have nothing that I doubt. I have no questions. I have no issues. I am ready. I believe. And that's when I'm going to jump in the water for baptism. That's when I'm going to go over to pray. That's when I'm going to really activate myself in this community of faith. That's when that's going to happen. And what this guy is saying, I don't have it all together, but I do believe. Help my unbelief. It's like this humility and this boldness at the same time. Bold to say, I believe, but this humility to say that I'm not all together. I need your help. Humility gets God's attention. Number three on your page. Humility gets God's attention. What happens when the demons are coming at Jesus? They're kind of manipulative, like, hey, holy son of God, hey, son of the most high, all that. But what is, that's not humility. What do these people say? The people say, Lord. The people say, if you can. Humility gets the attention of God. So I don't know where you're at, but I think part of what um, we need to do is announce the truth. We need to announce the truth, and somebody today needs to hear what I have to say in the next three minutes. You have worth. You are valuable. Your identity is grounded in Christ. You have been made in the image of God. You have, he has a plan and a purpose, and he has intentions for you, and you have the ability with the Spirit of God inside you to follow that path. You have the ability to be a leader in your home. You have a, an ability to be a leader in your workplace. And you have the ability to be a leader here because of the spirit that is inside you. It doesn't matter how old you are. God's not through with you yet. It doesn't matter if you're 80 years old. His story is still being told. And he is changing lives every day. Jesus is providing for you. Jesus is in, in the process of healing you. This is truth. Are you declaring it in your, in your life and in your heart and in your soul right now? Jesus is providing for you. Jesus is healing you. Jesus, the power and presence of Jesus is available to you anytime, anywhere, right now. He's here right now. And the truth will set you free. And the one who is the light of the world is here. Can you see it? Can you sense it? Do you declare that over your life? Because here's what's amazing. Amazing about it is that we forget because we're so all like, this is my issue and I don't know and I'm not worthy and I don't measure up and all this time we're paralyzed and the whole time the enemy knows I got you, I've confused you. And the whole time God is saying, but on the other side of the darkness, on the other side, when you begin to awaken to the light that is in you, that is also something that you can live according to, that you can walk in the light, what ends up happening is that your story changes someone else's story. You begin to share what God has done in your life. Quickly, the, 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 the guy who was in the cave, right? So he's cutting himself, he's demon-possessed. Legion was the name of the demon, thousands of demons in this guy. Crazy. 
Jesus casts them out into a butt, like 2,000 pigs. And the pigs lose it, and they go into the sea, and they die. Guess what? Not cool, Jesus, because you are in Gentile territory, and pigs are raised to be sold in the market. And so everybody found out what Jesus did. They freaked out about the guy because he was crazy. Now he's sitting there in his right mind with new clothes on. They're like, what? But then they hear about the 2,000 pigs. You're like, that's really bad for the bottom line. Our prophets just went down the drain. Jesus, get out of here. Read it. They kick him out. But what does the guy say? You know what the guy that was healed, you know what he says? Where are you going? Because wherever you're going, I want to go with you. I want to be with you. You see, we're all sitting there saying like, Jesus brings light. Truth. And this guy's like, I don't know, but I was in a cave for I don't know how long. I always got all these scars on my body, but I need to go wherever you're going because I got a new set of clothes, and I'm ready to go. And what does Jesus tell him? Nope. He says, you can't come with me. And he says this. He says, go home and tell everybody what I did for you. And so amazing, right? But what's really cool, a couple chapters later, Jesus goes to the same area. And this time, the people didn't kick him out. You know what they did? They flew and flocked to him. Why? Because that guy went home and told everybody what God had done for him. And so the people crowd him because of what? One guy's testimony. And Jesus says to you, I want you to go and I want you to tell everybody where you've been and what I've done for you. The darkness, what's on the other side of your darkness? What's on the other side of that dark spot in your heart or that dark place that you're in? I'll tell you what, is freedom for somebody else, for you and for someone else. Papa's story changed my life. Yesterday, baptized Raquel Robertson, student at ONU. She was nervous as can be adopted from China when she was in her teens, 12 or 13. And she said yesterday in her testimony, she said this, she said, when I was in China and I was an older child and, and I was in an orphanage for years, what I thought was is I was not going to get adopted because I wasn't worth it. I was too old. And then when I got bounced around to different foster homes, what I believed about myself is that I would never be adopted. And then one day, a family adopted me. And when I got to America, and I was with this family, what I realized was that I didn't believe in God at all. I didn't believe in Jesus. I didn't even really believe in love, especially that I could be loved. And then she said that then I started to see God in my dad and I started to feel the love of God for my family, my adopted family. And she began to open herself up to Jesus. And yesterday, she was baptized. Tears rolling down her face. And she's just saying, I was unworthy. And somebody else's story affected mine. 
I don't know what that family that adopted me, I don't know like what they were going through when they adopted me. I don't know what that got them to that point, but they reached out and now I am changed. And the family of God grows by one. Your work to push through this part and allow your heart to be awakened is so that you can see freedom and see many people come to God because of your story. Jesus says, um, that some of this doesn't come except with prayer. And so we're going to be able to pray here in a second. But I think the last thing I'll leave you with, it, with is this. Not only does our story bring the light to others when we are pushing through that darkness ourselves, but ultimately our future reality is that Jesus will not only bring the light, he will be the light. And I love this passage in Revelation 21 because we don't think about this very often. But Revelation 21 starting in verse 23, says the city of God does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. If tomorrow you woke up, and it was bright as can be, but there was no sun, would you freak out? Like, I, I feel like I would. But this is the idea that, that there is a day coming when we will literally walk by the light of Jesus, just like we are to today. And so my heart for you today is that you would do the work. So what are we going to do? We're going to learn how we can expose the lie. We're going to learn how to speak truth to ourselves and, and over ourselves. And we're going to learn that we're going to see Jesus bring light to that situation. So today, um, why don't we stand? And we're going to go into music. And I'm going to be available to pray over in this area if you would like to pray. It's really simple what we do. We'll talk about the why, we'll talk about the truth, and we're going to pray about those two things. And we're going to allow Jesus to bring light into our lives. So Heavenly Father, Lord, you are here right now. We love you, Lord God, for all that you're doing in our life. Lord, we ask right now, Lord God, that you would bring the light into this room. Holy Spirit, you're here and you're moving. God, you have assigned this day to us. This is our assignment for today, that we would be here, and that this would be the message, and that this would be the topic, and that, Lord, that this would be the wrestling match that we would have to do today. So, Lord, that we would not allow the lies of Satan to, to distract us or to fool us any longer, but in Jesus' name, those chains are broken. That roaring lion, his mouth is shut, and he is cast away from here. And, Lord, he has no place, but Holy Spirit, you... You are the one that has place here. You are the one that has freedom to move. And what does that mean for us? It means a next step. I don't know what that is, but for each of us, the next step may be to pray. It may be to raise our hands and worship for the first time. It may be to find a spot in the warehouse where we can be alone or be a little bit more free to worship. It may be that we need to sign up for getting into a group, into community, into Alpha, or whatever it may be. I don't know, but God, it's a next step for us. Lord, we pray right now that you would allow us to take that step in these next few minutes and then allow us to walk that out this week. We love you, Jesus. Hear us as we sing.